following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. All right. It's time for our catechism review. All right. So we're going to start at question number one. We're going to make it all the way to question number six today. So we're going to start with the kids, and then uh, the kids will answer, and then I'll ask the adults, and the adults can answer, okay? So here's how it goes. Question number one, what is our only hope in life and death? Kids. Amen. And adults, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Question number two. What is God? Kids. Excellent. And adults, what is God? God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable, in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Excellent. Question number three. How many persons are there in God? Kids? Excellent. And adults, how many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And question number four, how and why did God create us? Excellent. And adults, how and why did God create us? God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Amen. Question number five. What else did God create? Yes. <laughs> and adults, what else did God create? God created all things by his powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. And question number six. That's question number one. Oh. Okay, so... Uh, technology is great. So, kids, how can we glorify God? The answer is by loving him and obeying his commands and law. And the adults, how can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying him, loving him, trusting him, and obeying his will, commands, and law. Uh, sorry about the slideshow thing. Slideshows never work. That's how it goes. But if you're wondering where to find these answers and you don't know what we're doing, you can find them on the free app called the New City Catechism. 
Uh, and you can join us. We're looking at week number six. You can also buy the book um, and follow along with us. And those devotions have uh, some the question and the answer, the scriptural uh, basis for that question and answer, as well as some commentary by some of your favorite commentators. We have yet to hear one from J.J. Van Oosterzee, but maybe we'll get there. Um, so anyway... Uh, so please join us in that as we're doing that together. The kids are studying that uh, in Sunday school after the service um, this morning. There won't be uh, Sunday school next week because we'll have lunch, uh, but we're going to keep going and they can study that next, learn that next question and answer uh, on their own. So that's that. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Today we're going to look at verses 22 through 25, and that's on page 865 in the Pew Bibles. So we've come, uh, we've come again to a particular passage of Scripture that I admit I do not want to preach on, uh, mostly because I don't like the truth that's contained therein, and I don't want to apply it to my life, just to be honest. Yeah. Um, I've had to do it before. I've had friends doing it now. And it hurts my heart to think of any of you here having to do this. And I think um, that will make itself clear as we move along. So let's read the text together. Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he even commands the winds and water, and they obey him? Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would guide us in our study this morning, that you would show us yourself, and show us ourselves, and show us our Savior. Help us, Lord, to hear your Spirit speak to us through your word that we might be changed by it. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a scene that appears um, in both of the other synoptic gospels, uh, meaning uh, Matthew and Mark. Uh, They all deal with this a little bit differently, um, and they include and exclude um, different details. And you can look them up and study them on your own. They're found in Matthew 8.23 and Mark 4.35. And you can um, read those on your own. Uh, I'm not going to reference those two gospel accounts as uh, each can stand on its own and can be examined and understood on its own. And you can read them later and compare them if you want. Um, it might be a helpful study for you. Um, but I don't want to cloud the issue. And you know, if you've been here before, 
how much I love one-point sermons. Um, so I'm going to ask you, can you remember the one point of the last few sermons? Because it's been the same. No? Okay. <laughs> Hear the word of God and do it. Hear the word of God and do it. Well, now in Luke's account here, we get to see if the disciples had been paying attention. On one particular day, Jesus got into a boat, says to his disciples, let us go across to the other side of the lake. This is the word of God in this example. Jesus says, let us go across to the other side of the lake. Now, You'll have to forgive me if you're not into this sort of thing. But in the original language, in the Greek in this case, the word for let us go across is all one word. It's not a bunch. And that one word, buckle up here, is in the active aorist tense. And the aorist tense is Greek's past tense, kind of. It's not quite as black and white as that, but it's close. Bear with me here. The point is, Jesus didn't, didn't simply suggest, let's go for a boat ride and see what happens. You know, maybe we should try to go to the other side of the lake. Jesus said, literally, we are going across the lake. Not maybe, not we might get there, let's go for a boat ride and... and and see what we can see. He says, we are going across the lake. That is the word of God. This is, this is extremely important to have in mind at the outset because it is the word of God. We're going across the lake. So if the disciples had heard and understood the sermons that we've been dealing with for the last few weeks, if they'd understood the one point of the sermon of the wise and foolish builders, the one point of the parable of the soils, the one point of lighting the lamp, the one point of who Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters were, they would have set sail from the shore of the lake to go to the other side, confident that because Jesus said plainly, we are going across the lake. No matter what happened in between, they would trust, trust his word that they would reach the other side. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Simple, yes. Easy, no. So this trip by boat is about five miles. Okay? The Sea of Galilee is about seven and a half miles long, and I, uh, seven and a half miles wide and 13 miles long, 12 or 13 miles long. So this would be about five miles because they're not going directly across. They're kind of headed um, southeast um, from Galilee to Gennesaret, where they'll arrive in verse 26. But we're not going to talk about that yet. So after a long day of teaching and preaching and performing miracles, Jesus gets in the boat and takes a nap in the stern. Now, I've been on a boat in the Sea of Galilee not on a stormy day, but after traveling and seeing lots of sights and we get on this beautiful boat they call the Jesus boat, which is a, a, a model um, after a 
a boat that was found on the bottom of the lake, and they rebuilt it, and now tourists get to ride on it. And it was a wonderful ride across a beautiful lake, and I've never slept so good in my life. I fell asleep on that boat. So the Sea of Galilee, this is important for us to understand because when you hear sea, do you think of pond? Do you think of lake? Not really, right? But that's, that's what it is. So don't call it the Sea of Galilee. If that helps, you can call it the Lake of Tiberias. That might make it smaller in your mind because it's not very big. But it sits about 650 feet below sea level, like below the Mediterranean Sea, which is, which is only a few miles away. And it's surrounded by rocky hills and gorges, which allow sudden and violent windstorms to blow hard across the lake. Uh, this, and this still happens today. This wasn't a one-shot deal. This happens all the time. And that's exactly what does happen in this day. And the truth is, two storms blow in. One's on the outside with the wind and the waves, and the other is on the inside in the hearts of the disciples. One day Jesus got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Now let's not forget who we're dealing with here. The disciples, these are seafaring souls, right? This Four of them were professional fishermen who fished for a living on this lake, right? This is not uh, a big surprise to them. And most of the rest of the disciples grew up on the shore of this lake. They knew what storms on the Sea of Galilee could be like. They most likely had lost friends and neighbors or had heard stories of people who were claimed by storms on the sea. These were men of experience, and they were terrified. So let's pause and consider a question. The winds are buffeting, waves are breaking over, the boat is filling with water miles from shore, I don't like this question. Don't answer it out loud. Did they have reason to fear? Did they have any reason to be afraid? Oh, 2,000 years later, we know how the story goes. Of course they didn't, those faithless dopes. I say don't answer out loud because we're too far removed from this situation. We can easily slip into our theological snobbery. And simply say, they had Jesus with them in the boat. Of course they had nothing to fear. Try it. Regardless of our opinion, they were afraid. They were terrified. And you can can hear their utter faintness of heart when they cry out, Master, Master, we're perishing. I wish we could hear them. I wish we could hear the sound of their cries to Jesus for help. Master, master, we perish, est thou? (laughs) Right? Why did they wake him? You ever wondered that? Did they wake him because they wanted help? Or did they wake him so that he would know 
that they were dying and they'd all die together. I want to think they're honestly crying out for his help. But I think it's probably a bit of both. Jesus, just wake up so you know when you die. You're going to die now. Just want you to be aware. We obviously know that wasn't the plan. But if they were calling out to him for help, it was because they knew he had a solution. What they didn't believe was that he had a plan. A windstorm came down the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and they woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? Our favorite theologian, J.J. Van Oosterzee, wrote, Now as ever their faith, manif- their faith manifests itself in this, that in their distress they flee to none but Jesus. What a beautiful thought. But I wonder, I wonder if they didn't regret waking him up. Because after he calmed the sea, the wind, he asked them the penetrating question, where is your faith? Now, this is a tough one because this question could have two, at least two possible meanings. He could say, where is your faith? As if you had faith once, where did it go? Or, where is your faith? As in, what, what are you placing your faith in? It seems to me that's likely a bit of both again. Jesus had told them they were going across the lake. There's no question in their mind. They spoke Greek, so it was easier for them to understand. Jesus said they were going across the lake. If they trusted him completely, wouldn't they know that no storm, no wind, no wave could stop them? Because they trusted the Son of God who spoke the word of God? Nothing could reach them. Nothing could keep them from reaching the other side. It also seems to me that they had a good deal of trust in themselves to navigate until the storm, until things got out of hand. This is where I live all the time. I trust myself until things get out of hand. If you're honest, you're probably right there with me. But the disciples did go to Jesus when things got out of hand. They had that much, right? Kind of. But it's been well said that faith is not believing in spite of circumstances. It's obeying in spite of feelings and consequences. This is where they failed. But when Jesus calms the storm and challenges them in their faith, they respond with worship. And they were afraid, a reverent fear or awe. They weren't terrified anymore. And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even the waves and the water, and they obey him? They already knew the answer to that question. 
they knew Jesus was the Son of God. God made flesh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The disciples were in a situation that made them fear for their lives, and they thought all hope was lost. This was a really hard time for them. Let's not minimize that. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't a big deal. If Jesus wasn't in the boat with them in the storm, they may well indeed have perished. But I've read some great scholars and heard some great preachers that give the devil credit for the storm, saying that he was attempting to thwart the great plan of God through nature, that Satan himself caused the wind and the waves, trying to kill Jesus and the disciples. Now, we may scoff at that idea and say, you know, that's not possible. But how often do we give credit to the devil for making our loved ones sick? How often do we give credit to the devil for causing accidents or creating the storms that we experience in our lives to terrify or discourage or destroy us? I've heard you do it. Think about instead the gifts that these disciples were given that night if they could only see it. They were given the gift of the knowledge of their complete powerlessness. In the face of nature, what power do you have? None. In the face of illness, in the face of trauma, we're reminded that we don't have power over anything. And therein lies the second gift. The reminder of Jesus' almightiness. It's only when we realize that we are indeed powerless that we learn to depend on his almightiness. And this is a great gift. The disciples fled to none but Jesus, and so should we. And that's the third gift. They got to pray for his help. A prayer that the Father will always say yes to is this. Glorify yourself in my difficulty. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. They were given the gift of praise to his name, recognizing that even the winds and the waves have to obey the Lord of creation. That might seem like three points, but there's still only one. Hear the word of God and do it. It's still the same. But what if it's hard? What if it's scary? Hear the word of God and do it. But what if it looks impossible? Hear the word of God and do it. 
What if I don't feel like it? What if it doesn't make me feel good or feel good about myself? Hear the word of God and do it. But what if I'm uncomfortable with the consequences? Hear the word of God and do it. (laughs) There are going to be storms. Hard times are going to come. Hard times might be here now. They're gifts. It's not a punishment, and it's not the devil. What you're going through, what you're going to go through, what you've been through are gifts from God to help us depend on him, to realize how powerless we are to deal with anything at all, how mighty he is to deal with it on our behalf. Faith is not believing in spite of circumstances. It's obeying in spite of feelings and consequences. Can you say amen? Good luck. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that luck has nothing to do with it. That you are at work in every circumstance. That the difficulties that we face, the hard times of sickness and pain, things just not going our way in our view, that you're not, we thank you, you're not picking on us. You're not punishing us. And it's not the devil trying to discourage us. He's got other ways of doing that. Help us, Lord, to see our difficulties as gifts. To remind us who we are and who you are. We thank you that you have overcome our greatest difficulty, and that is the punishment and penalty for our sin. You made a way for us to be forgiven by giving your own life on the cross. I pray, Lord, that if anyone here who has not put their trust in you in this way would call out to you now, asking for your forgiveness, accepting your gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. Adopt them as your children. Lord, we're so grateful. You've brought us through so many storms. We ask you, Lord, that you would widen our perspective to see that you're at work in all things. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.